Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett Nadeshnikas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. On November 9th, the United States Supreme Court hears arguments in the Holland v. Brackeen case. It challenges the constitutionality of the Indian Child Welfare Act passed in 1978, which outlined standards for Native American children being removed from their homes and placed in foster care. It also set placement preferences for those children, first with a member of their extended family, second with a foster home licensed and specified by their tribe, and third with another Native family. Uh, Bojo, my name is Kendra Loudon. I am Kendra Loudon is a Citizen Potawatomi Nation member and Curly family descendant. She works as the Senior Program Associate at the University of Denver's Graduate School of Social Work. She is also the owner of Ghost Thunder Child Welfare Consulting and previously served as the board president of the Oklahoma Indian Child Welfare Association. It is a nonprofit organization in Oklahoma that represents the interest of Oklahoma's 38 federally recognized tribes, specifically with the Indian child welfare programs housed within those tribes. Kendra discussed the case with us as well as the Indian Child Welfare Act and the impact its repeal could have on tribes and indigenous children across the country. Can you sort of give us just a brief overview of this case for those that are listening to this but are unfamiliar? The case is commonly known as Brackeen, just a shortened version. And uh, the Brackeen case was brought forth in Texas as a result of a non-Native couple seeking to adopt a child who was a citizen of the Navajo Nation um, and also had some other tribal heritage as well. So that family felt that the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was a law passed in 1978 to protect Native families and to keep them together, was unconstitutional because uh, they saw it as based on race. ICWA, as it's known, is not based on race. It's based on the political status of tribes. So our sovereignty is what allows us to have a say in the lives of our children and all of our tribal citizens. So they uh, appealed to a court to keep placement of a child for adoption. Um, They did cite that Their reason they wanted to adopt was they essentially had a lot of economic resources and they felt like they wanted to give those to a child in need. There was a relative available for the child, but the family did not really care about that. They they wanted to meet their needs, which was to adopt this child. And so, unfortunately, a Texas judge did cite it was unconstitutional, saying it was based on race. But like I said, it's not based on race. So that's kind of where this case started. And uh, there's been some back and forth as far as uh, different court rulings in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And there were some wins for ICWA with a decision, and there were also some concerns. And so both the parties, which are the Brackeens and the state of Texas, as well as a few other states, Uh, are on one side, and then tribes and organizations such as the National Indian Child Welfare Association are on the other side and have appealed to the Supreme Court to hear this case and make a decision about the constitutionality of ICWA. 
reading and listening to different information about ICWA and about this case, several people um, who are questioning the constitutionality of ICWA, frequently several of them have said that ICWA is an old law. And you said that it was passed in 1978. And to me, that's not an old law. Yeah. So those parties who are attacking ICWA, they use uh, things such as decades-old law. We hear that often. We hear antiquated. And in reality, what's antiquated is the lack of rights that Native Americans have. And so if ICWA is overturned, that takes away our rights. It's taking away tribal sovereignty. So those attacks on ICWA are very targeted, um, and then the groups that are attacking ICWA have, have a lot at stake as far as financial gain if ICWA is overturned. It's a lot easier for states to not follow ICWA. <laughs> That's how they look at it. Um, it's more steps for them. And for us, it's not about steps. It's about protection. Uh, we want our families to be protected for this generation, the next seven generations, and beyond. How we work with families today impacts the survival of our tribes. And for the citizen Potawatomi Nation, we've always been fierce defenders of ICWA and fierce defenders of our families. ICWA is not antiquated. It was passed due to decades, even centuries, of Native American children being taken from their families. Um, so we, we all know about boarding schools, and right now there is an investigation led by Secretary Deb Holland in the Department of the Interior, who is our first Native cabinet member in the United States government. And uh, for her to be tasked with uh, this boarding school investigation, is, I'm sure it is a heavy toll for a Native woman. And uh, she's doing a great job uncovering the truth of boarding schools in this nation. But even before boarding schools, uh, mission schools were established. So that was really our first experience as Native people with this colonized education. And so these mission schools were often day schools, and they were run by um, different denominations of Christianity. And their goal was to civilize, educate Native children about topics such as English, mathematics. And the hope was that that assimilation efforts would carry forward. But the mission schools were not as effective, uh, definitely not as quickly as the government had hoped. And that's where we saw boarding schools being developed. Families were forced to send their children to boarding schools or they could be arrested or they could have resources withheld, resources that they needed to survive, such as food. Um, and so when children went to boarding schools, they were forced to cut their hair. They were not able to wear their traditional clothing. They were truly assimilated into a boarding school situation. We see the effects of this generationally, um, just like we see the effects of alcoholism um, within certain families or certain communities, or you see the effects of abuse, the effects of family separation dates back to generations, and we still see that impacting our families today. Why is this case so crucial for the future of Native children, Indigenous children? It's, it's really critical that ICWA is protected so that our families remain together and our tribes remain together. If ICWA is overturned, even in part, it is a domino effect for tribal sovereignty. And so right now we have certain rights for our land or for our water 
or for cultural protections, for language protections. And if ICWA is dismantled, it it does not bode well for tribal sovereignty as a whole. Um, but more importantly, if ICWA is dismantled, our families are going to be separated more. Our children will be adopted outside of their tribes at a higher rate. Um, we already have a great need for foster homes within every tribal nation across the country. We need our children placed within tribal families. And um, although we have a lot of great people stepping up, we need more to think about right now how ICWA is working to protect children and keep them connected to their culture. We already are struggling now if the Supreme Court overturns ICWA or overturns the placement preferences section, which is where uh, it gives families the authority to take care of their relatives that are in foster care, then what will this look like then? That's the question. How does history play an integral part in this case and in the Indian Child Welfare Act? ICWA is based off history. It's and it's a living history still. So ICWA was passed to address the high rates of children being removed from their families. And it was most of the time unnecessary. Um, congressional hearings presented evidence for this, and this is how ICWA was passed. So yes, it is historical on why ICWA was passed, but also we're still seeing this stuff today. So it's a living history. ICWA has been needed for the last 40 years, and we're going to need it for the next 40 years and beyond. We know that state and government agencies often don't serve families in the way that they should or respect and uphold tribal sovereignty in the way that they should. So we need this law. It's critical to protect our people. Earlier, you were talking about states and their departments of human services. Do a lot of state agencies want to see Iquagon just to make things easier because it's easier not to go through that steps and just assign children to homes uh, as quickly as they can find a suitable one? So as far as ICWA goes in regard to state agencies, I did work in tribal child welfare direct practice for 10 years. And so I've testified and attended court hearings across the nation. And something that I found is we have those workers who are really strong ICWA advocates. They see how the protections within ICWA help families and help families succeed and also um, just keeps, keeps tribes stronger. And then there are those that oppose ICWA because they feel like it's more paperwork. Um, I've heard this before as a child welfare worker. And what I would say to them is when we look at ICWA, there are certain guidelines that states must follow. And often the guidelines are just to help a family better. It's just to help them at a higher level. So let's say a family needs a parenting class. Instead of just giving them a list of classes, ICWA guide states to go above and beyond. So help them set up transportation to get to that parenting class. Um, help them sign up for that class. Make contact with the parenting coordinator. So those are steps that you would hope a child welfare worker would be making to help a family reunify, right? What we often hear ICWA referred to is the gold standard of child welfare. So it's another level of help. And so, yes, states, tribal child welfare workers, state child welfare workers are overloaded. I've been there. But what I know is that our job is to uphold the law to make sure that families have what they are legally required to have. It is their right to be served at a higher level. And some people would say as long as the kids are healthy in a happy home and getting the attention that they deserve and that they need, who cares? 
why is the law regarding indigenous children different? And why does that difference matter? The reason that the placement of Indian children matters is because of cultural connections. The first placement preference for children that are in foster care who are tribal citizens is for them to be with their family. And I don't think anyone can argue that family is the best placement for a child, regardless of what type of situation they're in. After that, we look at placing Native children with their tribe or with members of other tribes. And those connections that a family can provide are really critical to a child's whole identity. So for them to understand who they are as a native person. And so one argument that I've heard from people is, well, this family, they're not culturally involved. They've never been to a powwow or they don't participate in ceremony. And my question for them is, why is that? It's because the reason we need ICWA. So families um, often don't have cultural connections based off what's happened generationally. If there was a child in the 60s that was adopted outside of their tribe and outside of their family, the odds are their children and their children and so on aren't going to have those cultural connections. So had that child in the 60s been placed with their family or placed with their tribe, then there's a stronger chance that they would have a sense of cultural connection. And again, it all ties back to identity. Children who have been adopted outside of their family are often like, why didn't my family take care of me? Like, what were the reasons that didn't happen? And what we see in equi cases is often there is family. There are tribal members willing, but um, we have issues with non-Native homes thinking that they should be the one to adopt. And uh, they're just not really seeing the true perspective of like why ICWA is law and why it matters. Um, Being a part of a tribe is being a part of a family. It's an extension. And we have survived for hundreds of years (laughs) since colonization. And we will survive for hundreds of more, but we really need laws like ICWA to help protect our rights and ensure that our family unification is not disrupted. How do cases uh, like the Brackeen case reach beyond race and ethnicity? Some of these cases have been explicitly brought about and other ones that have dealt with ICWA because um, a white family explicitly said they felt like they were being discriminated against not being able to adopt a native child or having a court take ICWA into consideration and say, no, there's another family or their family that they can be placed with. So this adoption will not follow through legally. What I would say to someone who feels like it was based on race Um, I would tell them that their point of view is just not understanding tribal sovereignty and how how tribes are connected to each other. Um, Tribal sovereignty has been acknowledged legally by the Supreme Court since their first decisions. So being a child welfare worker, something that I heard was, well, this child is fair skinned or they have blue eyes and blonde hair. So what does it matter if they're with a tribal family? They don't look native. Well, um, that's really a you know, showing a misunderstanding of tribal citizenship, right? Each tribe is the one who decides who can be a citizen of their tribe. And so each tribe may have a different way of looking at that. But what it boils down to is if that child meets that criteria, they're a citizen of that tribe. And even if they don't meet citizenship requirements and ICWA does not protect the child, they're still Native and that still matters. Their culture still matters. Let's discuss the possible outcomes 
of the decision and the effects. ICWA advocates prayerly hope that ICWA will be protected in whole, but there is a chance that ICWA itself, parts of ICWA may be deemed unconstitutional by the current Supreme Court, potentially the entire law. There is repeated case history protecting ICWA. And um, there's misinformation out there about certain cases that may have overturned ICWA, and that's just not true. In the event that decisions are made that that do dismantle ICWA or parts of ICWA, tribes have to be prepared on how to handle that. One thing that people should understand is that a lot of tribes operate their own tribal court systems. And so we have those systems in place to help protect our children. Um, it will make it more difficult if ICWA is not law <laughs> to be involved in those cases across the country. Uh, the Citizen Potawatomi Nation assigns a caseworker to every child in foster care across the nation. Those rights may not be there. And what we see working at tribes is that families reach out. Families call from across the country. They may, may have never even visited their tribal reservation or their tribal headquarters, but they know they can call their tribe because that's who's going to help them. That's who's going to guide them through this process of regaining custody of their children, of getting the substance abuse treatment they need about, you know, how to address the trauma that they've experienced, which now has been passed on to their children based off the situation. And one thing that will never end is tribes. So we're always going to be one people. We also were one people in Indian country. So while we citizen Potawatomi Nation, we're always going to be together. We also have this brotherhood and sisterhood with other tribes across the nation because we're the first people. You've talked about race-based preferences before being outlined in ICWA. What do you think will come about with race-based preferences from this court decision? I think that's kind of the issue is people look at the placement preferences as race-based, but really what they are is is based on the best interests of the child and um, for their tribe to keep them protected and connected. It, it is very possible that the placement preferences within ICWA um, are at risk. We don't want to repeat history. We're already living our history, and we're trying to reconcile how do we survive? How do we continue our connections to our culture? Children are our future. They're our next tribal leaders. They're our next teachers. <laughs> They're our next medicine men and women. They're our next culture bearers, and we have to be the culture protectors. For more information, visit the National Indian Child Welfare Association at NICWA.org. Find the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Biologic Children and Family Services online at cpn.news backslash firelodge. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating and share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. 
Miigwech ni kanek, Thank you, friends. See you later.